people of God had gathered together. Uh, they had a six-hour time where the Word of God was read to them and um, uh, uh, explained to them uh, in, in the crowd as they gathered there in Jerusalem. Uh, it's the first time this has happened probably in generations. We remember we talked about the fact that the Bible, the Word of God, was not very accessible. And so I'm sure for the vast majority of folks who were there in Jerusalem that day, uh, this was the first time uh, maybe they'd ever heard the Bible read to them. So it was a unique uh, unique time. Remember, they were convicted of their sin and they began to cry and, and weep as they confessed and repented of their sins. And Nehemiah and Ezra told the people, you know, today's actually a day for rejoicing. Um, and so uh, they even used the language calm down, which uh, I've told the church staff that, see, it's in the Bible. But um, <laughs> calm down. So, uh, and they did. And this, uh, today, as we read the text, we, we come to the second day uh, as the men come and gather together uh, to hear uh, from the Word of God. And we're going to see how they, what they heard and what they did. So, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 13 through 18. This, uh, it's in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is the Word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. <clears throat> on the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim and all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booze and lived in the booze for from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So, uh, it, I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, those of you who have uh, been around the church a, a long time, or whatever, you come across someone who is new to the faith, a new believer, and they read the Bible, and they get very convicted by something in the Bible, and uh, they say, you know, I'm going to change, I'm going to do this now, and it seems to you to be kind of radical and silly, and you tell them, well, don't really do that. Right. Because obviously, you know, while we say we take the Bible seriously, many times uh, what we take more seriously is an understanding of the Bible that is convenient and comfortable. Rather than taking the scripture for what it says and saying, you know, this this is this is the word of God. It is a it's a funny thing to, to think about because. Uh, every human being, every human institution has an authoritative word. They have some body of information or something that they say, this thing speaks the truth and speaks authoritatively to me, right? Uh, I was um, uh, thinking uh, this week about my mom and dad and the way they used to 
uh, when, as they got older, and I, you know, I, I hope I don't do this to my kids, but I probably will, um, they would always tell us the results of their doctor's visits and wanted us to know how well they were doing, how everything, how everything was so great and, or something wasn't so great. I remember the one time my mom's cholesterol was so high the doctor wouldn't tell her what it was because he was afraid that it might actually cause a heart attack or a stroke if she, because she was so anxious about things like that. So, uh, I mean, it was, I, I, I saw the number and she had a reason to be afraid. So, um, uh, but whatever the doctor said, that was it. And they would change radically everything in their lifestyle uh, to do that. So my mom went from the classic southern cook uh, that had pork fat and salt in every dish, right? Uh, um, some of you don't even know what fat back is. You need to look that up. But uh, I grew up. Sometimes we actually would fry fat back and eat that for breakfast like, like you eat other meteor products. So fat back is what it's, it says. It's fat fried. It's really good. Really good. It's so good. <laughs> uh, but, um, you, you know, you, um, uh, it's not, it's not that, it's not that great for you. You know, uh, uh, we actually cooked a lot of things when I was a kid in lard, which probably some of you, especially some of you moms are thinking, you know, that's so terrible and gross, but um, when the doctor said, put away the lard, man, it got put away. And um, no more pots of green beans with a giant piece of fat floating around in them, you know? Everything was no salt. Everything was not very good anymore. And so, the, um, so, so they had that authoritative word from their doctor, and because they trusted him and because they took him at his word, they changed, Right? Uh, so the, the, the same thing uh, is, 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 in a way, is happening here to these people because what they're coming to grips with is they have this revelation of God. They have the words that he has spoken. They are coming to grips with that, being introduced to that, and they are taking the word seriously. So, Scott, go ahead and put my notes up there. So, you know, uh, it is always a remarkable thing when people hear the word of God and believe it. Now, when I say believe it, it's not just that that's a good word or that just encourages me or that comforts me. But one of the ways that the scripture tells us that we believe the word of God is that we hear it, we take it as the truth, and then we do it. You actually do it. Because God said, this is what he wants you to believe, and this is what he wants you to do, and so you do it, right? Um, Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the, the man who builds his house upon the rock, the storms of life will come against it and not knock it down. Well, that's the way you are if you hear the word of God and you do it. And so there's this, it's, it, it, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that seems so simple, uh, but we find all sorts of ways to manage that, don't we? Like, and to, to say, oh, that, that begins to sound like legalism or fundamentalism or, or something like that. And that, that's not what we're talking about here. It's simply 
when God says, hey, you know, once a year, when you get to the land, I want you to celebrate a festival of booze, the people hear that and they do it. Now, uh, the, the ESV makes it sound like they had not done the festival of booze since the days of Joshua. That's, not, that's, not, that's a poor translation. What it actually means is they had not celebrated it like this with this kind of joy and intensity and fervency uh, uh, since, since the days of Joshua, right? So it's a great thing for us to, 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 uh, to, to see laid out before us an example of a community of the people of God hearing the word of God, being convicted by it, and acting on it, right? And that's, you know, Jesus said, you know, that when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And it's not just the fact that we believe the truth that Jesus died for our sins, but we believe the truth that Jesus died for our sins. And because that is the authoritative word to us, we take the scripture seriously, right? Um, So... And James, the brother of Jesus, reflected this when he says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So these people heard the word, and regardless of whatever else may be going on, they're gonna, we're supposed to celebrate this festival, we're going to do it, right? So next slide. Um, so the, the Feast of Booths was something that God wanted to implement for his people because he wanted them to remember the 40 years they wandered around in the desert and they lived in tents. Um, And so once they got into land and once they settled, uh, every year at harvest, God wanted everybody to move out of their houses and for seven days the whole nation lived in these kind of lean-to, these kind of shelters that they made and uh, enjoyed uh, uh, the fruit of the harvest and the reminder that God had uh, provided for them. Now, I'm sure some of you hear this and you think, that sounds like so much fun. I remember uh, years ago, our kids used to swim uh, at the Jewish Community Center. They swam on the swim team there. And every year in September, they would put up this, this fake booth outside of the, uh, the Jewish Community Center, and they would bring the kids from their uh, uh, child care program in, and they would sit under the booth, and it was cool and that kind of stuff. And so you get this impression, like, that would be great, right? Except they didn't live in it for seven days, <laughs> right? Uh, it, you know, it would be awesome to live in the booth as long as it doesn't rain, <laughs> right? Or the wind doesn't blow it down on you, or... Whatever, when I, I used to camp a lot. I, I did a lot of very primitive camping, backcountry camping before I, I got married. And, and, and Marty's family, they grew up camping. And, you know, we talked as we're getting ready to be married, like, you know, camping, that's a great thing. And she's like, you know, we don't have to do that. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't have to camp. I did that. Um, and uh, especially when our kids were younger, you know, camping would, would have been quite, quite a nightmare, right? So here you are. You've got a perfectly good house that God says to you, move out of the house for seven days. You and all your friends and neighbors live in close proximity to one another in booths. What happens when everybody lives in booths? We find out a lot about each other, don't we? Right? 
I know about who's cranky in the Brown family, and I will learn uh, what Shangwak likes to eat for breakfast, and uh, you, you learn all of these things as all of the people suddenly live together as the people of God had lived for 40 years in the wilderness. Now, why was this important? Well, they were reminded, uh, uh, as they did this, of God's protection and provision. Now, why is that so important? Because God had warned the people of God that when they got to the land, that when they finally settled there and they ate from the, the fruit of the land, that they would be tempted, just as we are tempted, to think that they were providing for themselves that they would be tempted to think that they were responsible uh, for uh, uh, their wealth, responsible for uh, their development. But what God wanted them to remember was just as it was when you were in the wilderness and you had to get up every day and go out and get your manna for the day, or when I sent the quail for you to have some meat, or when the water flowed from the rock, the same thing is true now, that wherever you are, whatever you do, right, you're, the provision that you have comes from my hand. Now this is, this is so important for us because we tend not to think that. We, as, as, as Shang led us through the, the Lord's Prayer, where we pray, give us, Lord, our daily bread, uh, the fact of the matter is that that language there for daily bread isn't, Lord, give me a great return on my 401k. It's not, give me a great return on my investment. It is, give me enough to live today. That's not very satisfying, is it? Right? Because I'd like to guarantee for the next day, the next day, and the next day. That doesn't mean we're poor stewards, but what it means is, is that we trust God, and we trust God not to make us fat and comfortable, but we trust God to give us what we need in the moment at, 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 on, on that day, right? It also occurred during the harvest, right? Uh, and harvest was an opportunity for them not only to, get to, 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 to work, to gather the, the fruit that they had uh, worked for, that God had provided for them, but it was also an opportunity to bear witness to the covenant making and covenant keeping of God. Whenever you stick a seed in the ground, that is an evidence of faith. Did you know that? Because when you put that seed in the ground, you are trusting that God is going to send the sunshine and the rain, that he's going to keep the hail from destroying your, your plants or the pests or the bugs or whatever else is out there, so that in four months, you have this harvest, you have something to eat. Uh, and that's especially needful in a culture and in a place where you don't have a grocery store or a 7-Eleven or a, a restaurant on every corner. Uh, it is, uh, it is, it's, it's, it, these people lived a little bit closer to the means of production, and so the, it, it really mattered to them whether it rained or not. It really mattered to them whether or not uh, 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 things that were out of their control happened so that they could have food to eat. And so as they gathered together uh, once a year for seven days, they were reminding themselves of God is our provider. God gives us what we need. He gave our ancestors what they needed when they lived in tents in the wilderness. He will give us uh, what, uh, they, uh, what we need. Next slide. Um, 
But the other thing to note about this is that this was a real celebration. So there are no real sourpusses here about having to live out in the, the booths for a week. They're actually uh, 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 loving it and enjoying it, right? Um, it says that they lived in the booths and the people had not done so because there was great rejoicing. So the people are rejoicing that they have rediscovered the word of God. They are rejoicing that they are living and, and obeying the word of God. And they're rejoicing in the provision that God has for them. That is something that we often miss out on because we forget the rich provision that our God has made for us. right? And so they, they gather together in booths. Uh, and they have this giant party for a whole week celebrating the great things that God has, has done for them. Did I, did I walk off the screen? Did I do that? Good. I, I feel constrained. But, um, yeah, I don't want them to have to move the camera. So uh, uh, Moses had said this to them in, in Deuteronomy. You shall celebrate the Feast of Booze seven days after you've gathered in from your threshing floor and your wine vat, and you shall rejoice in your feast. You and your son and your daughter and your male and female servants and the Levite and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your towns. Seven days you'll celebrate a feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you will be altogether joyful. So do you see here what, what, what's, what's happening here is God is saying, look, I, I provide for you richly. I give you abundance. Uh, and the harvest would be a fresh reminder of that. And, and the fact that they gathered in booths the way their ancestors had done for, for the wilderness wanderings would be evidence to them that this God had been faithful to them generation after generation, year after year, and providing for them. Now, uh, the other thing to note about this is that this was done as a whole community. This is something that everybody did. When, when Moses says the Levite and uh, the uh, the widow, everybody does this. And everybody did it, and they all shared together uh, in this uh, uh, celebration, right? This was an important thing for the people to do once a year. And the reason for that is, when everybody lives in tents, divisions of economics or of social status go away. You're all the same. You're all the same. You're all living in tents. Nobody, no, the guys over here don't have a six-bedroom house, and you only have a two-bedroom house. You're all the same. And so there was an expression here of unity of the people, so that the things that we tend to divide ourselves over, the t- things that we tend to say that are the markers of status or, or the markers of, 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 of importance or whatever, were done away with, we're all the same. We all live in a booth. And when it rains, it rains on all of us and it leaks on us just like it does everybody else. And so, so, so the fact is, there was this unifying factor. Not only were they, were they united in the fact that God had provided for them, not only were they unified in the fact that they were God's people, but they were also unified in the fact that this is the way they were all living uh, the same way, right? And there was a lot of joy in that that all of the people were doing something together. That's something that we often miss, right? That the, the joy that we have in God's provision, certainly of the food to eat and those sorts of things, but what about the joy of the provision of relationship, of community, 
of belonging to one another, of being together, of celebrating and coming together and recognizing the beauty that what God is doing is that he is building a community, not just saving individuals here and there, but that he is gathering together a a community. And this, in many ways, was a look forward to heaven where we will all be gathered together celebrating God's rich provision at the marriage feast of the Lamb, we'll all be together, and all the things that divide us now, the things that we artificially set up to divide one another, will be done away with once and for all, and we'll see and experience the joyful provision that God has made for us. And we'll be in unbroken fellowship with God, but also with one another, because Jesus has provided the sacrifice. Jesus has provided not only the the physical needs that we, we have, but even more importantly, the spiritual need we have to have our sins cleansed, to have the righteousness of God given to us, to provide for us in Jesus Christ something that we could never provide for ourselves. So it's a look forward to heaven. Now, it's hard for me sometimes to think how camping for seven days would be preparation for heaven. Uh, And sometimes I think, it would be a tough place to have an expression of unity because a lot of times in my experience with camping, we haven't gotten along that well. But um, uh, the fact, that's exactly what uh, was happening here uh, uh, among the people of God. And that's an important thing for us to settle in on uh, uh, this morning uh, because one of the things that we have majored on uh, in our uh, church and in our culture is what differentiates us from one another within the church. It's one thing to different to say, and, and, and we hope and pray that there are things that are different about the people of God uh, from the rest of the world. But one of the things that we do within the people of God, within the church, is we, we tend to like to, to, to differentiate. And we live in a, a time and a period where uh, everything is an opportunity for division, isn't it? Everything. Um, Joe and I were at a, a meeting yesterday, and one of the things that was stunning to me about the meeting, it was inside in a building, um, and the number of people who were at the meeting who would not wear a mask. Joe, Joe really pointed it out to me. I was kind of clueless, and he's like, Look at the percentage of people who are in here are not wearing a mask. Uh, even though, uh, and, and, and what I found about that is, it's one thing if you don't, you know, I don't like wearing a mask. It's uncomfortable. I really don't like wearing it for four or five hours at a time. Um, but I, I, I take it as a way to love people. But for some people, it's a political statement. One way or the other. And so we can divide up over mass. Why don't we divide over shoes, too? Or, or over whether you should wear socks or not. <laughs> let's, let's, divide up, let, let's divide over that, right? You should wear socks when it's under 40 degrees. But when it's, when it's above 40 degrees, you don't need to wear socks. That's the rule. That's my rule, Right? So we, we, we find ways like that to kind of differentiate ourselves and to express in some way our outrage and our disappointment at 
the status of the world in which we live. The Feast of Booze was an opportunity for the people of God to have those things broken down. Uh, and I am certain that uh, there were people who gathered there in Jerusalem in their booze who thought Nehemiah was a weak leader, who thought Ezra read the word and preached too long, who didn't like the particular way their Levite taught them and opened up to them the word of God, who didn't like the way some people were building their houses or their section of the wall there around Jerusalem. But when we're all together celebrating only the provision of God, living in a booth, that's an expression, an opportunity for us to say what unites us, rather who unites us, is larger and more profound and more powerful than the things that we gravitate toward to divide over. One of the great blessings that we've had uh, that, uh, uh, ironically, I think, from the pandemic is for a lot of people, and for many people, they have forgotten or not certainly are as aware that we are going to have a national election in three months, give or take. Now, elections are never opportunities to divide, right? Um, I read a great uh, book a few years ago about the Hatfields and the McCoys. That was a real thing. Uh, and a lot of their violence where they killed one another was at election day. Um, and part of the reason why uh, it used to be that you didn't sell alcohol on election day was because the Hatfields and McCoys liked their alcohol on election day, and it led to some uh, interesting uh, disagreements. We are the people of God, united by the Lamb who was slain, and our destiny is to be together with him and with one another forever. Now we can disagree, and we should, and we should debate, um, but we should always give one another the benefit of the doubt because you're my brother or my sister. I came across this uh, quote uh, this week, our social environment is toxic. I, 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 think I, I think I could agree with that. The outrage will only increase as we approach the November elections. Uh, and there are some of us who actually like the outrage. The outrage feels like, yeah, it feels good, at least for a little while. Temptations to vitriol and bombast will be legion. So together as a church, let's commit to keeping each other away from the ledge. Right? Not that we all have to agree or even vote for the same people or vote at all. But let's keep each other away from the ledge. Engage with love and patience where you can. And when the rhetoric gets overheated, step back. Because eternally, how you treat your brother or sister in Christ matters more than who ultimately wins an election.
When the rhetoric gets overheated, step back, rest, pray, read the Psalms. Wouldn't it be great to end an argument with, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want, right? Look to Jesus and love your enemies, right? Let's pray that God would build that sort of unity, heavenly unity, uh, in and among us. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come to you. We thank you for this great joy that you gave your people and your provision and you're uh, uniting them together there in Jerusalem. I pray that you would give us great joy in your provision for us, that we have a roof over our head, that we have food to eat. In fact, we have enough to give away. I pray, too, that you would help us uh, to love one another and to see that the things that we tend to divide over are um, not as great as the thing that unites us, as the person that unites us, the Lamb who is slain. Help us uh, as we debate, as we challenge one another, as we rebuke one another and encourage one another uh, to remember that. Lord, thanks today that we can look to see how you have been a provider and you continue to provide. And so we can rest in the, the, the truth that you are uh, the provider of daily what we need. And so when we look to the future and we are fearful that you might not provide, we have centuries, indeed millennia, of a record of your faithful provision. So would you continue to do that? Give us faith and joy in you today uh, and unite us in the call of the gospel. Lord, would you make us people who hear the word and then do it? We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's confess our sins together by using the, this prayer from the uh, Book of Common Prayer. Lord, forgive us our sins against you and our neighbor. You are the great physician giving new life to all who come. But we cling to our familiar sickness. You are the bridegroom inviting us to feast on new wine. But we are slow to come to your table. You said you came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Forgive our pride and unbelief. Lead us to forsake the passing joys of this world and find the enduring joy of Christ's salvation. Amen. Believers, hear these words of encouragement. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us.